Hello and welcome to the Football Babble, a special tonight. Myself and Steve are joined by an award-winning journalist, Stephen. I know. Mr. Paul Hosford. Hello, Paul. <laughs> How you guys? How are you? Yeah, uh, not you. Sorry, Stephen. You, you big yourself up too much. Anyway, it's time to knock you down. Pay sure. Yeah, Paul's on the on the pod tonight. Um, a good friend of Stephen's, obviously, he's come on the pod tonight to chat to us about Aston Villa and football in general. Just um, cousin Mud, he's one of our members. Paul wouldn't make the podcast tonight because he hates with a passion Emmy Martinez. So he refused to come on <laughs> to talk about Aston Villa because he despises Emmy Martinez. But I'm sure you'll give us an insight on what he's been like at the Villa. Um, just in general, Paul, just to start us off with, we'll, and we'll get into your history of sporting Villa and what made sport Villa and favourite players and all that. Stephen Gerrard, what's it been like so far on the Gerrard? Have you been impressed? Are you still waiting before you make a decision or have you found it? No, I've been I've been really really impressed. Um, I think one thing that that's really impressed me is that he says a lot of the right things. Um, so if you remember back uh, a few a few years ago, um, Jared Houdier took over at Villa. Um, yeah. we went to we went to uh, Liverpool and Houdier kind of talked about it like you know it was kind of a homecoming and you know he wasn't really fussed about the results one way or the other. He would just you know. Just happy to be there, happy to be back at Anfield, and and in Stephen Gerrard's fifth game back, it was uh, he was asked previously, you know, what what about the the homecoming, and he his responses were brilliant. You know, he was kind of saying, you know, I'm I'm not interested in in Liverpool. I'm interested in Aston Villa. I want to go and beat them. Uh, you know, I'm sure the fans will be will give me a good reception, but I'm that's you know that's not. What's going to decide what happens on the day, and and then he was asked about um the game before we were playing Leicester, and somebody said to him, "Are, are Leicester the the template for Aston Villa right now? Are, are Leicester where Villa see themselves?" Um, and his response: "We're Aston Villa. We're a massive club, and, and our template is ourselves. The goal is to win, is to win trophies, and and that's nothing to do with Leicester or anyone else. So it, it's it's been really refreshing. Um, he talks up the club in in a massive way." The, I suppose the thing that people the thing that people miss about Villa is you know, the owners are extremely wealthy. Um, probably yeah. in the in the top three or four wealthiest in the in 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 the Premier League. So there's massive resources there. There's a stadium that holds forty two and a half thousand people in the second big, biggest city in the UK, uh, and there's a history, albeit too far removed now, of success there. And what like what Villa fans really want to hear is somebody who wants to say, well, there's ambition here. And, and Jared is, is a very ambitious guy. And you can see that he, he probably has, you know, if you were honest, if he was honest, he probably has looked at the Liverpool job when, when Klopp leaves. But he obviously, he also knows that he has to warrant that. And if Villa's the step stone to do it, if, if that means winning a trophy with Villa or getting Villa into the back into the top six, he'll do that. Or he's, you know, that's what he wants to do. So he said all the right things, but he also plays a nice brand of football. Um, Jared, like when Dean Smith took over, it was a it was a huge um, breath of fresh air because the the eighteen months or so under Steve Bruce was awful, and the couple of the, the eight or ten games under Roberto Diaz before that was was putrid, and <laughs> before that we'd been relegated with Remy Gard and Tim Sherwood. You know, you're going, you know, Lambert ball by the by the end of it. Paul Lambert's team was absolutely awful to watch. Alex McLeish. Um, I often tell a story about Alex McLeish. Um, if you look now at people talking about Rafa Benitez going from Liverpool, they say, "Oh, he never had a chance because 
he, he he managed the team across the town and, and you know it's similar to Alex McLeish and I was at Alex McLeish's first competitive game as Aston Villa manager was an away game to against Fulham me and my, me and my now wife were in uh, happened to be in London that weekend so we tipped out to, to Fulham and my wife it's 11 years later now my wife is still not forgiving me because the <laughs> brand of football was so bad there was one shot on target and it came from we pumped Shea gave him pumped a long ball forward and Emil Heskey just kind of flipped it tangling into the keeper's hands. And that was the one shot on target in 90 minutes. It was the first day of the season. It was awful. So watching this thing that Jared is doing, and, and it's really, it's very unique in, in modern football because it's so uh, narrow in the in, in the final third. Uh, he's, he's playing these, these two two number 10s that we did it against Everton the other day. And and that was, it's, it's really, it's really interesting, but, you know he's he's big on getting the ball in between lines, moving the ball into into space, uh, you know, actually working the ball into into the box, and then obviously you know you're you're supplementing that because you're not the best team in the world. You're supplementing that with being solid defensively or or trying to uh, be good from set pieces. Are you happy with January with the January transfer window? Um, yeah, I mean delighted. <laughs> We've you know the like the thing about say right if you look at what what Villa have done in January um new contracts for Emmy Martinez a uh, new contract for Courtney Hawes um you know then you bring in you bring in Coutinho who is who could very well be world class again or, but if he's not he's going to be very very good uh, a step above or a step level what we already have um then you've brought in Luca Dina who automatically Upgrades left full. Uh, my target's gone out on loan, which is a weird one for me because yeah. there's no option to buy. Um, thought now was kind of now was the time to to rinse Newcastle. Um, try and get back, you know, take advantage of them being desperate. But then, like Callum Chambers is an upgrade on Axel Twanzebe. Um, you get a guy who can play, you know, all across the back four can play defensive midfielder, which is probably where we're. We're at our lightest at the moment with, with Marvellous and Canby injured. And then the, the, there's a better backup goalkeeper in Robin Olsen. So you've managed to strengthen four places, four positions, maybe five or six positions if you mm. uh, can, if you factor in how uh, versatile Chambers is in January. Um, and it feels like... But then there's the other end of it where you were... There was a couple more people linked um, that... Would have been really, really nice. Um, that there was, there was kind of talk of Basuma or or Bentacor or even Dennis Sicaria um, as that kind of holding midfielder. That's probably where we'd need to strengthen most um, going forward. Um, but then, like, you know, I suppose the big thing for January is that Stephen Jarrett has worked out what he he wants. He's got that extra ten. Uh, the Everton game spared us the absolute torture of watching Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins try and play together anymore. I was gonna is... ask that's what I was gonna ask next. Do you think do you think Gerard's seen enough of this now where he's gonna stop? That's the one thing I would have with Gerard at Villa so far is and, and if you don't know I'm I'm a massive Liverpool fan so obviously whatever Steven Gerrard does I want him to do well. <laughs> um but um that's the one thing I would be like I don't know why you keep he keeps persisting with this. It doesn't. They don't work. They just. They just don't seem to click, and I don't think they're going to click. So you pick one, and it, in my opinion, it would be Watkins, and you pick one and you go with it, and then the other one would be, 
you try and fit him in, you bring him in off the bench or whatever that way. But that's the, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I would uh, like I do edge towards Watkins just because I think his general level of play in terms of what he does without the ball is better. Um, he he runs uh, uh, he runs his channels better. He presses better. Um, Ings probably holds the ball up better, which um, which kind of, and is obviously a better better finisher. Um, he's he's lethal if you give him chances in the right space. The problem is that we weren't creating chances for him in the right space, and him and Watkins tended to get in each other's way. The the, the real problem with it was that when Jared did start, he wanted to kind of start bedding in this this dual ten, this Christmas tree, but it came down to whether Ollie Watkins is a better ten than Danny Ings, and unfortunately for Ollie Watkins, he is. And he, he's not a good number 10, but he was, you know, slightly better of the two. Um, I think Coutinho takes away that that question mark or that, 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 that problem. What it does is it gives you a problem about the fact that you can only pay or play one of these guys at, at a time. And I think it's, it's more often than not going to be Ollie Watkins, which is, you know, Danny Ings didn't, he wasn't cheap. So, um, mm. you know, Villar ended up. And, and the other thing is that the other elephant in the room is that Leon Bailey is going to be fit to, um and he also oh, yeah. wasn't cheap. So so Villa are looking at you know Villa have a you know twenty nine or thirty million pound winger about to get fit who is going to come back into a team that doesn't play wingers. Um, yeah. Now I know oh, I know Leon I know Leon Bailey has played he's played at ten and he's played at, at, as a striker himself in his career, but he he was bought as as kind of a an yeah. inside. Uh, or uh, an out and out left winger, or an inside right to kind of complement Emmy Buendia. So, uh, you know, the, the the whole kind of, I think what what Dean Smith had envisaged was was kind of four two three one with with Watkins on the left and and Buendia at the ten and Bailey on the on the right and Ings up front. But Jared's formation kind of means that there's a couple of of square pegs there. I think I think that um. Buendia for me has been since Gerard. Well, I know I haven't seen, I haven't watched tons of Villa all the time beforehand. But obviously, when Gerard takes over, you have a keen interest, like because it's Steven Gerard. Um, and Buendia has been out, like the Everton game. He was outstanding, outstanding. Everything he seems to be like. And there was a wee period there when he first arrived, Paul, where he wasn't really doing it. You know, you're waiting for him to spark. And the likes of McGinn, obviously, gives you everything every game. He was probably in a better form. Um, Watkins, Ings, these players, even Bailey for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, bang, he's just exploded. And he, he looks undroppable now. And he, he looked, against at the weekend of the past there, he looked like the best 10 in the league, in my opinion. For that weekend, anyway, he was outstanding. So how big a player is he to this, Aston Villa? Oh, he's he's absolutely massive, and the thing is, you could there were flashes. So he he scored a lovely goal against Brentford in in August. So maybe mm. the, I think it was the third game of the season, um, and then got injured and was kind of he was kind of in and out of the team. He he didn't play a couple of games, and um, then we went to this three five two. You know, we were playing three at the back and two two wing backs, and, and you'd. Ramsey, Douglas, Louise, and McGinn, or or Louise Nakamba, and McGinn, some variation of that. So Wendy just didn't fit in because you were playing that that two up top. But the the results from that were at that time were were really really poor. But Jared seems to have really uh, one thing that he that he tends to do is is play the ball. He kind of plays through him more. So in Dean Smith's 
uh, system, especially when we went to the, the three five two, he wasn't he wasn't really the fulcrum. But you can see the other day against Everton, people are they're getting on the ball and they're looking for him and they're looking for Coutinho and they want to play in in that in those lines. And there was a couple of times um, the, the the Manchester United game, the the, the two all game. You know, there was a couple of times where the the interplay between himself and Ramsey and him, you know, even himself and Ramsey and Ings or himself and Ramsey and McGinn were, or him, sorry, himself, uh, himself, Ramsey and Coutinho when when Coutinho came on was absolutely brilliant. You know, yeah. um, and Morgan Sanson played that game, not McGinn. Sorry, it, it, just that like just that little bit of interplay he, he gets on the ball in lovely spaces and at the everything then he picked up two lovely um lovely balls kind of just in the kind of, he was just in behind Andre Gomez and he makes it difficult for, for Gomez and I thought Gomez probably should have been booked uh, for one of them he gets Wendy just gets his body across him and he kind of gives him that option of, of fouling him he had he had two shots that were fairly poor but he's picking up those spaces and the thing is you can see with with Dean Yang and Matt Cash that they're starting to kind of get that knowledge of okay everything's very narrow here but when Emmy gets on the ball if you get down the line he he will find you he will be looking for you yeah. uh, so like he's he's a lovely player he did um I mean the, his assist I know we lost the we, we we lost the game against Brentford but his assist for for Danny Ings in that game had we won the game would have gone down as, as one of the best passes of the season he he rolls two guys in the Kind of Marseille turns two guys in the, about thirty yards out and puts this beautifully weighted slide roll pass through. Um, you know, and then obviously you've got the goal against um the goal against Everton. He he's phenomenal in the air. Uh, a guy who's five foot seven winning headers from from corners is he's absolutely unbelievable. Um, so yeah, well, I, I'm a huge fan of him. Like for all the reasons that Phil wants Gerard to succeed, I obviously didn't want him to fail. <laughs> Um, but I've said I've, I've been impressed even from like he came in with a clear knowledge of what was wrong with Villa, and I think it showed that he really did his due diligence before taking the job. Like as you mentioned earlier on, he probably does like in all honesty have his sights set on you know being Klopp's replacement when Klopp eventually goes next year, Phil. Um, <laughs> well, like, the, like I think it was in his very first press conference. It might have been his second, but he was talking about like one of the biggest issues for uh, for Villa being the gap between the midfield and the back four, and the the inconsistency in in space or the the, the amount of space the team were leaving. So he clearly done his homework and identified even before he started what the issues might be. Has it surprised you? how quickly he was able to turn that around or do you think it was so ill-disciplined and it was so unstructured that like they had no choice but to become disciplined and structured as soon as any sort of coaching was put on it um I, yeah I, I don't think like th- things have just gotten very stale I feel like um under Dean Smith it just got to a point where nothing was happening for him and, and for me it was this whole thing of the changing of the formation just screamed to me like a guy who didn't know how he wanted his team to play or how to get his team to play how he wanted to play. Uh, with Gerard, there's a very, very clear identity there. Um, but one of the things that, that you, like, it hasn't surprised me because I I didn't watch a lot of Rangers, but I watched a bit of Rangers. And one of the things that people were 
that Villa fans were very big on was that when Gerard was was coming in, there was a, a delay of a day or two, and it was to do with getting his backroom staff in place, and uh, particularly um, Michael Beale, who you know Gerard Gerard said you know has said about him that it will take him about twenty years to be as good an on field coach tactical coach uh, as Michael Beale. Um, you know he's apparently the the kind of the 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 brains behind the operation, and then Gerard kind of manages the the, the players and and the, the overall system. And Beal is is kind of the nuts and bolts guy. So it didn't surprise me because you know he brought in um I, I think there's so he brought in Gary McAllister, he brought in Michael Beal, Tom Coleshaw came in with him, and, and then they brought in a couple of analysts and. Um, he brought in his own head of fitness and conditioning, which to me kind of said he recognises what he wants to do, but also he recognises the problem. So it hasn't surprised me because I think there was just a lot of work, a lot of groundwork done, and that these guys, as a unit, take this out, take this thing very, very seriously and are very detail oriented. So I, I don't think Jerry, I never thought that Jerry would have taken the job without being very, very open to what it actually entailed. It does feel that. There's there's obviously two directions you can go with in terms of coaching as a high profile ex player and you, you you think Wayne Rooney and Stephen Gerrard in kind of one camp and then whatever it is that Frank Lampard pretends he's doing in in the other. Um, Brent's gonna kill you. Well, it's true though. Like I mean, Frank Lampard <laughs> had an unlimited budget with Chelsea and still failed. What's he gonna do with Everton? Um, and I just think that like it's it's. Like Gerard made his money. Gerard um, could comfortably have taken a TV pundit role. He could have, you know, settled into retirement. But there's clearly a, a determination there to not just impart his knowledge on other players, but actually that just that competitive streak, that drive to be successful in another field. And coaching, you know, you know, as a a player and a coach across other sports or whatever, that like it's a different beast altogether. Like and mm. just. He does seem to have settled into it, like, and considering you, you mentioned at the start, like Villa have a lot of money. They have, a, like, you know, Newcastle always describe themselves as a big club. Well, Villa have like the trophies and the silverware to actually back up that status as a big club. Um, so the pressure is—it's not as if he's gone into a club with zero expectations and zero pressure. Um, so I think that for me has been has been the most impressive thing. One thing I will say though is like. I keep reading how Matty Cash has improved, like he's one of the most improved players in the Villa team under Jared. And yet every time Villa are playing, I get a text from Paul talking about how shite Matty Cash is. <laughs> so I'm just wondering how those two things go together. It's because he's, you know, the work rate is there. The the want to do the, the, the work is there. He, but he, you know, he's still a player who loves, uh, loves the last ditch, ditch tackle. Um, can't cross a ball for a guy who started as a winger. Uh, and it is like, look, he, he's worked his bollocks off, and I, I don't want to, you know, unfairly malign the guy because he has he has been a really important part of Jared's system. But I do think if you're looking in the summer at a place that that Villa could upgrade, it's it's definitely rightful. And I'm always stunned that he's not Australian as well. He just he Matty Cash looks like he's off home and away. And, yeah, he does. He does. He looks like he should be coming out of the. Oh, I've forgotten the name of anything in Home and Away. What's <laughs> your venue uh, in Home and Away? I don't know. I was going to say Rovers Return. But that's Coronation Street, isn't it? I I think as well, Paul, that Villa are 
a very good centre half away from being right slap bang in the middle of the top six. Um, debate. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Mings. I think I know I'm he, not, he's. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to have any Tyrone Mings slander here. No, I'm not going to slander him. I'm not going to slander him. I just think the if the, the right centre half in there, I think they would be a serious outfit. Uh, they are serious outfit anyway. Like, but you know what I mean. I, I think there is an upgrade there. But I'm not slander. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't slander. I'm not. Not in your first appearance in the Babel, sir. We had a couple of ones, <laughs> and then we'll get you going. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, obviously, you don't think that. You think he is at the back. You think the the, the 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 thing about Thurmings is, if you want to see where Villa are with and without him, you watch that Brentford game. Um, uh, the equaliser that Brentford scored is an absolute calamity. Uh, yeah. the two centre halves, uh, Haas and and Kanza have chances to clear it. Um, it 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 bobbles around. Keeper makes a great save. It comes back to the, to your man Rorslev. Um, there was a stat uh, a couple of weeks ago that said that basically since we've been promoted, uh, Tyrone means missed nine games, and in those nine games, Aston Villa have won one, drawn two, and lost six. Uh, with him in the team, we can see one point five goals per game, and without him, it, that goes up to two. Uh, win percentage is 11% without Tyrone's in, in the team. He is the thing is, look, he's he's nonchalant on the ball and he, he will cause your heart attacks, but he's an, he's an incredibly important. This is it, he, he makes everyone around him better. I think Konza looks like a world beater when he's there, and when Konza yeah. has to, to be the organizer, he looks Sunday League. Um, <laughs> he's just he's just a really really important player, and, and I, he just the other thing is like. When you watch a when you watch a club, when you watch your club closely, um, you kind of get a, a bit more of an insight into the personalities. Tarawings just seems like an excellent bloke, um, and he's one of those oh, guys yeah. who, oh, right. who you're just you know you're, you're kind of like you're rooting for him because, uh, you know, that you want him to succeed because he's he's, you know, just I, I mean even that that picture that went viral after the the promotion game where he was on his. His way back down to Bournemouth on the train, still in his his kit from the day before, you know, promotion medal around his, his neck. He's in the he's in the train station. Uh, you know, at that stage, Villa fans would have you know done a GoFundMe or they would have paid their <laughs> own money to keep the guy. He was you know so important in the in the championship, and uh, you know now picking up the captain's armband with with Grealish gone, it, it's you know I, I think I think he's wonderful, and I do understand the criticisms of, of him because. He can cost you goals, and he, he can look overly relaxed. There was a time in the in the Everton game where he kind of just wandered over. He had the ball under absolutely no pressure, jogged, took two touches, and then got pressed by Richardson and booted it out uh, level with the eighteen yard box and invited pressure. But then he's he, you know he's winning headers and throwing his body at things, and he's hard to he's hard to criticize as, as a Villa fan at times. As someone who's seen one or two incidents of bad centre half play over the last few years, um, <laughs> I think you're okay with her. On you you can literally say nothing, Steve. You have to sit there and shake your head. Yes. Um. So, Paul, what? Why Aston Villa? I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory or bold <laughs> bad term. Why? Yeah. Uh, what got you into sporting Aston Villa? Um. Mostly being a contrary child who became a contrary adult. Um. 
so my brother and my dad are massive, massive Liverpool fans. Um, nice. Uh, so when, but when I was a kid, I used to kind of say that, like when I was like three or four, I was like, oh no, I don't like football. I don't like football. Maybe tell people I didn't like football. I remember distinctly, and um, my grandparents were into were into golf. Um, they were okay. like they play pitch and putt and whatever, and they'd occasionally take me out kind of walking around courses with them or to the driving range or whatever. So I would just tell people that I was only into golf and golf is the only thing that I liked. Um, and then I copped on to the fact that football is absolutely amazing. And we got, um, you know, Italian 90 I, is is a very early memory for me. I was only about four, but I, I can kind of vaguely remember bits and pieces of it. And I can remember we got the video cassettes of the, of the 1990 World Cup. And I would come home from school and just watch the World Cup uh, watching 1990 World Cup over and over again and I was kind of taken with it with the Ireland team but I was mo- mostly taken with Paul McGrath um, and so I, I remember just kind of like seeing Paul McGrath on the TV and, and seeing Paul McGrath playing with Aston Villa and being like yeah I think I think I kind of like them and then my parents went to London uh, back in 93 yeah kind of summer 93 and um, they came back with me for me uh, with a video set of the ninety two ninety three Aston Villa season, uh, uh, like and that was the year Villa came second. And there's yeah. there's goals from that year that I can I could draw from memory. Steve Staunton hitting the the inside stanchion against Manchester United with an absolute belter of a left foot. Ronnie Rosenthal hitting the bar. Um, there's there's an amazing Gary Parker goal. Uh, I think it's against Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, the Dalian Atkinson's solo say, effort against Wimbledon, yeah. uh, the, the the bloke with the with the umbrella jumping all over him. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of it, it it came from Paul McGrath, and I've told him as much in person. I met him uh, met him about ten or fifteen years ago, and told him that he was responsible for a lot of misery in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, that's a lot to put on him. But you know, it's I funny you mention that. Uh, that season in particular because that's the first season um that I experienced anything like heartache as a Manchester United fan so I've been a United fan since like 91 because that was yeah it was just before the Premier League started um I'm a bit older than Paul but that 94 League Cup final uh now like Villa had scraped into the League Cup final I think they beat Tranmere on penalties or something yeah yeah it yeah, was yeah, and United had completely just like right with the competition. It looked up for all the world mm-hmm. like it was going to be a handy final, and it was just like when I mean, you look at the United team and just just had a quick look at the team, like the quality in the United team. Like you've Bruce Pallister, Erwin Kanchelski, Keane, Ince, Giggs, Hughes, Cantona, and like then you look at Aston Villa and you've you've Paul McGrath, Andy Townsend, Dean Saunders. Like at the time. That Villa team was probably punching above like McGrath was obviously like you know world class. We've all we've all seen that like, but like the, it shouldn't have been the competition, and yet Villa were absolutely the better team on the day. Like it was an incredible performance. I actually I remember that very very clearly um, that semi final or that final, but I remember a couple of weeks beforehand knowing that Aston Villa were going to win um, because uh, and this is. Because United were playing, I think it might have been Swindon, and Peter Schmeichel was sent off. He came rushing from his goal, he clattered a guy who was clean through, 
and he was suspended for three games. And I remember I was in, I can I vividly remember being in my friend Ross's house watching the the Saturday evening news with his dad, and his dad said, "Oh, geez, Schmeichel was sent off. He's going to miss the the League Cup final." And I remember going, "We're going to win now because at that at that age and around about that time, Schmeichel was completely unbeatable. You just as a kid, you were like." Nobody can score on this guy, but then they were like, "He's not going to play." And it was Les Seeley played on the day, well, and I remember going, "We're going to win. We're going to like, we're absolutely going to win." Didn't they go e- through? Didn't they win a, a couple of league cups in, in the nineties? Didn't they? Yeah, they won the league cup in ninety six. Then uh, beat Leeds three 0 in the that's final. Right. And that that's the last uh, the last major trophy. If you don't want to count the two thousand and one Intertoto Cup, which I don't. It, that Leeds. Yeah, my my the so those two brothers live behind me, and they were massive Leeds fans. And I I was born eighty eight, so I was a wee bit younger than them. But I was already a Liverpool fan. Like my dad had just that was it. And I remember like Villa winning and being so buzzing that Villa had won. I was only about I was about, I had been maybe five, was I five? Oh, seven? I don't know. As five or seven, whatever it was, and um. Just been so delighted <laughs> that Aston Villa had beaten Leeds, and the two lads behind <laughs> me were devastated. And being like, we're playing football and pretending to be like uh, Dwight York, pretending to be Dwight oh, York Jesus. or someone, or who's the other fella? Can't remember. So, but pretending to be one yeah. of them anyway. And I just remember the anger from the two brothers, and I just didn't give a fuck. Like I was like, yes, <laughs> Villa beat you in the cup <laughs> final. So I enjoy, I enjoyed that day. Um, yeah, um, and, I, th- I think I think York York Milosevic and Taylor scored that day, or did Tavo get two? Um, uh, he's Milosevic. He's Milosevic. Player, what a player! Yeah. What a player! Oh, yeah, what I, a football player! Yeah, I think I, I I think it was the three of them. I think it's the three of them. Taylor definitely scored the the, the second one. Savo scored one that dipped in over the keeper. And, like I mean, even so, even when you go back and and that was that was a very good team. If you go like if you yeah. in fact there was the likes of Milosevic and York were the two up front, but the midfield had Bar- like had Ian Taylor and Towns and um, Hugo Ekio. We were, we used to play a back three back then. Um, yeah. So you'd Southgate, Southgate, McGrath, and Ekio for the for the yeah. three. Like, um, but it was a good team. Um, on on the Ryan Little, I remember being absolutely devastated when. Brian Little started to kind of um, put Paul McGrath out the pasture, and and the thing is, as as a, an adult now, you kind of realise that, um, yeah, look, it, it was probably um, the right thing to do, uh, but as a kid, and your idol is kind of out, is not in the Villa team anymore. You kind of devastated, and it, it was a guy called Brian Small who was the the kind of anointed successor, and it turned out that he was fucking shy. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and I don't even remember Brian Small. Did he play nah, any games? Really? I haven't a clue who that is. No, no. Um, uh, he played. He would have played very few. Uh, he was. He was a, like. It was a Villa guy. He probably played uh, less than probably probably like less than fifty games, but like kind of in and around. Um. Uh, he went off then. He, I think he, he kind of bounced around. But like the the thing that was particularly galling was that, um, was that Paul McGrath went to Derby and was excellent. He, he had two very good seasons at Derby. 
Uh, and that's kind yeah. of a, an Aston Villa, like, that's a, an Aston Villa trait over the last 25 years has been selling players who go on to, selling players to teams who, who you think might be uh, worse than you, who end up having an absolute, uh, you know, an absolute resurgence. Somebody resurgence, like Mark, Al- yeah. Mark Albright and like, you know, oh. Premier League winner uh, who yeah. wasn't good enough for Villa. Um, you know, even, you know, when we were struggling, you'd guys like Jonathan Hogg, who was captain of Watford, but what was deemed not to be good enough for Villa. Uh, you know, Talk I, to me then, Paul, what, what, what it was like uh, when you got relegated. Like, I, the I, I hope was... to never f- feel that, but I don't think any club is ever big enough to go down. I really don't. Like, a club can fuck themselves financially, and next thing, like, spiral out of control. I was at university when Liverpool almost went into administration. So I know the panic there that was going on, but you yeah, obviously yeah. relegated. So what, what was that like then as a fan? Um, Like, the thing about the relegation was, like, it was almost like, you know, when somebody's very, very sick and they finally die and somebody and people say, oh, well, look, look, they're not in pain anymore or, you know, they're out of their misery. It was very like that because the relegation was coming. Um, it, the After Julio got sick and left um randy learner's uh enthusiasm for the club just completely evaporated uh, whatever had been there was was gone and it just got to a point where you know the alex mcleish uh appointment was so uninspired um mm. that was 2010 2011 you know it was you know he, he'd just been sacked from birmingham because they got relegated but they'd won the league cup um he was a, a notoriously bad manager, but just dreadful. Um, you know, we, we, we've been in the habit of selling our best players at that stage. So Barry was gone. Uh, Mil- it was the Milner one that, that really kind of tipped us over the edge because we got fucking Stephen Ireland back in 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 exchange and he was woeful. Um, but you end up with, you know, you go from McLeish then to, to Paul Lambert and like Lambert was kind of this Villa fans were mad to get him because he'd done so well with Norwich but by the time he, he, he came to Villa the resources just weren't there and he was being asked to perform miracles like people people point out say things like you, you know that team that went to Anfield and won 3-1 that, that Lambert team uh, but like that was you know it was kind of built on, on a lot of it was built on Benteke but yeah um, like it was not a good team. <laughs> uh, if you look at the guys who were who were playing alongside him, the likes of Wyman and like that 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 day, Villa's best player in midfield was Brett Holman, a guy who lasted one season and went off to the I think it was Dubai or the UAE. Like he was, you, know, you were you were struggling along. So we were we got to a point where the club's whole existence was to get to thirty six points and. It just it, as a fan, it just got to the point where you just weren't interested anymore. Um, this this yeah. is club does doesn't want to kick on. The owner doesn't want to be there, uh, and is open about the fact that he's trying to sell the club and can't get what he wants to you know wants to be paid for it. So you're kind of as a fan, you're you're kind of going if nobody in the club cares, why should I care? Like, so when we did get relegated, it was almost a, a bit of catharsis, like because you'd had the season before where Sherwood came in and gave us a bit of a bounce. 
and we got to the FA Cup final. Um, and you're kind of looking at that and you're thinking, Jesus, like, we could do something here. And then you go out on, on the day. Of the- oh, I think we just lost you there, Paul. Stephen's on mute as well. <laughs> That's what a what a what a professional job there. Uh, I went on mute because the dog started barking. Um, so oh, pulls back, back, pulls back, pulls back. Yeah, sorry. No, um, my it's my okay. battery is actually fucking pissing away. Yeah, but like the the thing about getting relegated was that it got to, it came at a point where we were just so woeful. Like everything about the club was awful. Um, so getting relegated wasn't a bad thing. It was the fact that we had been taken over by an absolute con man and Tony Jarre, who had just talked about, you know, when he took over, he was talking about, like, building um, motorways in, in Aston and, like, revitalising the whole area. And then it turns out that he didn't actually have any money, which is <laughs> a bit of a problem. Um, so you end up with that, that half season or that close season where you're going... Revenue could shut the club here, or we could end up with a with a twenty point mm-hmm. um, deduction, and then next season you're absolutely screwed. And it got to the point where the two guys um, who bought the the club, uh, Nassif Sawiris and Wes Evans, bought it about four hours before a massive tax bill had to be paid. And um, before they signed the documents, they had to transfer. I think it was a, I think it was six or eight million pounds into the into the club accounts to pay to pay it. Like we were really really close to things going really wrong and but then you have that summer um and you you go and you sign John McGinn you sign and where you bring it on where Al-Ghazi like you kind of start to make good signings across the team you bring in Toro Mings on loan but things don't you know you're but then you're struggling again and Steve Bruce's brand of football is awful um and then Jack Grealish got injured and we went the absolute shite. But then he got, you know, Grealish comes back on the day that so Dean Smith takes over, wins a couple of games, loses one or two, and then Grealish comes back for the Derby game and Villa go on a run where we win 10 games in a row. And yeah. Grealish is absolutely unplayable because he's like, it, watching him was like watching like a fully grown adult going out playing with seven-year-olds. Like, in, in the championship, he was just far too good, um, and you end up in that. It was the, it was the West Brom semi final, which really was the one for me because we kind of been back and forward with them, and like there was you know kind of I think that they had beat they'd drawn with us at Phillip Park with a handball goal the year before, and there was you know, obviously local rivalry. They take the lead at Phillip Park because of. A, it was Glenn Whelan left a, a back pass short. And then Connor Howard absolutely spanks one into the corner. We get a penalty, go and win that. They they score a scrappy goal and send it to penalties. Uh, when we won the penalties, I, I, I was just sitting on the floor of the sitting room and I was thinking, like, I actually looked at it and I was like, Derby aren't a try here. I, I, don't, like, I just couldn't see Derby beating us. Uh, and that was, you know, like that was that was a Wembley final. Like I know it's it's the playoffs or whatever, but like, still massive. Twenty five years, yeah, and like the the reward is huge. So that day was that day was magic. And then when we came up, you know, things looked fairly hairy that season. 
until lockdown. And we came back from lockdown, one of the meanest teams in the Premier League, like couldn't give up goals, beat Arsenal. Um, beating Arsenal was huge at, at Villa Park. Uh, and then the, the final day, oh, um, I think my battery's going to go here, lads. It's all right, we'll, we'll continue on. Hang on. I'll try and find a charger here. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts if you had the battery on, you know, British, obviously, and being a massive trader. Um, <laughs> if, for many reasons, is it, is it, how do you feel when you see him kind of everything happening at City that we thought might happen, which is, you know, not very much? Oh, I think we lost him, so I'm going to answer for him, right? Yeah, so, go ahead. I think it's very enjoyable to watch Jack Grealish fail at Manchester City because it's exactly what we said would happen. You put one of the best unstructured footballers in the Premier League into the most structured team. In the big brains team. Yeah, like, it's just incredible that um, anyone thought it was going to work. Um, Mm. I really don't understand the thought process behind it. But just, uh, Paul has reminded me, like, in... Aston Villa must be right up there with Liverpool in terms of the number of players from the island of Ireland who have like graced the team over the years. Like they've had a huge Irish contingent, huge influx. Yeah, I would always have thought of that. I think that's why, like, I don't know, obviously, Paul's had the go there because his battery's died and, and I can't edit this. So this podcast is staying the way it is. Yeah, but like, I think that's why I always looked at Villa. And like, would if they were on TV when I was younger, would have watched them because you would have had Townsend and McGrath, and I think even Houghton played for them at some point. And yeah, Houghton and Staunton as well. Staunton I mean, obviously as well. And then you had even recently at Hurhan, Glenn Whelan, players like this here. There is there definitely was, and there is obviously there's an Irish contingent in Birmingham as it is. Um, but yeah, they did. But that that side, I think this might sound weird, but I would look at. Aston Villa, ninety three, ninety four, and be reminded of the Republic of Ireland team. Mm. So I would, yeah, the I two it. would go together. The two would go together for me. But that's why I wonder of... why they don't like. I'd argue that Arsenal have a bigger fan base in Ireland than than Villa, and yet, like, mm-hmm. a lot of that is because of two players like David O'Leary and Liam Brady, and yeah. You look at the volume of Irish players who've gone through Villa, and it just doesn't seem to have like translated into a joint. Like I know, I know three people who are Aston Villa fans. Four actually, I know four people, but like they could hold their the Irish fan club AGM in a phone box. Like, I mean, but I think that's just because of they had Paul McGrath, obviously, who is one of top. Five anyway, Irish players of all time, top three, top three, I think. And but the the era he was in, you know, Villa weren't. The, I know they challenged the league one year, but if when Liam Liam Brady went to Arsenal, it was a massive thing. Do you know what I mean? And Arsenal then were doing things. Then he went to Serie A and he was unreal in Serie A too. Whereas if I think if Paul McGrath had gone to Villa, say the start of the eighties. And they'd done something then. I think now we'd have people now would the generations are more. But he was at Villa, and then next thing the Premier League went bang, and then yeah. United went bang. True. Do, do you know what I mean? Like I, I was there was two of us in my whole class the whole way through school were Liverpool fans. Anyone else was I had one or two 
one had turned to Chelsea, we're not talking about that, and the rest <laughs> had followed football Royal United fans, you know, because it just went yeah. bang, the Premier League exploded, and United exploded, they caught, they caught that money train just perfect, Fergie just timed it. Yeah, the um, time, like, that just probably, there probably is like a, a thesis in, you know, United success and the timing of it with Premier League and all that new oh, money that came in and stuff like that. Like, 100%. Yeah. Um, 100%. Like, but it's it, like uh, there's players that have played for, like, I completely forgot Richard Dunn played for Aston Villa. Like, and yeah. yet, most, Stephen a Ireland. lot of people probably remember him being, you know, an Aston Villa player. Like, Stephen Ireland, the only Paul mentioned it. I completely forgotten Stephen Ireland had, had been a Villa and stuff. So, there's, there's definitely, like you said, like Birmingham obviously has a huge Irish contingent, so that maybe plays a factor in it and, and all that. But yeah, it's, it's, it is very interesting um, as to they are clearly a club with a very smart coach um, mm-hmm. with a lot of money. Is that, but even, is that enough? Like, is that enough to break through the Liverpool City dominance? Like, it's. No, it's a big question. I don't think it I, is. You know, I don't. I don't. I don't think that this is a. I don't like using this term. But I don't think this. We'll just call them the super clubs because they wanted to call themselves the super clubs. Yeah, I don't think they'll allow Leicester to happen ever again. Do you know? And it is hard. And Paul's to see right. It. And, and, yeah. and Paul's right. Like Villa have money to burn, and, and I know a couple of Villa fans on Twitter would say it like. When Grealish was being rumored to go to Man City, they were like, "Well, they're gonna to have to pay a hundred million because, and 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 they'll not do that to get him." And then City did just like that, bang, no, we will. That's gonna keep happening. Jacob Ramsey will be the next one. I think a lot of teams will look at for midfielder. Another year at Villa, he looks class. You you can imagine someone who might need a, a striker for player looking at Ollie Watkins, John McGinn's caught there. Everyone. Do you know what I mean? These things will happen, but and it's not a disrespectful thing at all. To Aston Villa, I hope when Paul listens this back, he doesn't think I'm being I'm not being disrespectful at all. No, no, it's just me. that I the, the the big teams were burned by by Leicester, yeah, and they deserved Leicester unreal that season, and the, the other teams deserved it because they're pissed about. And the, I just I just don't think they'll have let it happen again. They'll pluck players from that side, manager maybe, yeah, pluck him from from that side and. So I'd be very shocked. But what I do think they can do, Villa, is I think they can definitely, not this season, obviously, they're a bit too far behind, but they can challenge for top six, certainly. And there's always a team in the top four who wobbles. Yeah. And if you catch it right, that's what happened to Spurs. The Spurs weren't part of that. It was Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea and United. City weren't even involved for a wee while yet either until they got yeah. involved. And then Spurs nabbed it. And then they got it again and then it kept going. That's why Spurs were involved. Obviously City had the money they came through, won it, got it again. I think Villa can grab on to that. Like Villa, Everton, if they can get it right well, after they get relegated here, but then they come back up. Um, if they can get that right. <laughs> Sorry, Everton fans. You know, that's that's where I think Villa should look at. And, and once you get in once, then they'll start to see more, more players will be attracted to them. Yeah. And then it'll snowball from there. And then you could look at Aston Villa going, fuck, they are title challenge. Fuck, they're, you know, but yeah. right now, you're not going to see someone storm it like Leicester. No way. It's it's the West Ham argument because people have said, right, with the stadium, yeah. with their location being a London club in general, but with the size of the stadium as well, if that club qualifies for the Champions League, and all of a sudden they become a much more attractive destination, and it grows mm-hmm. from there. You know, you qualify for Champions League once, you get 
the money from that, you sign better players, you qualify again, and it repeats, and then the big four is now the big seven, or whatever the case may be. And I think that's where I think, but I think you nailed it. I think Villa's biggest problem is that the more successful they are with Gerard, the harder it's going to be to keep him. Because if Gerard is successful at, the, at Villa and say it goes as well as possibly could and they make Champions League football, which is a possibility next year with, you know, given the, as you said, one and two seems to be sorted, but spots three and four for the Champions League are, are wide open. Like if you're a Liverpool or a Barcelona or a Juventus or whoever, like you look at Jared and you look at the name for a start, which is always attractive mm-hmm. to big clubs, but you look at the quality of what he's doing in terms of the on-field product, he has to be linked with bigger jobs. And as sad as that is, it's what happens to clubs like Villa. It's like you said, like it like even look at even look at Leicester and like how they were picked apart after they won the title. Like, you know, you lose, you know, a lot of big name players. I was going to say good players, but they weren't all good as we, as we found out. Um, and I I just can't help but feel that like for if Villa are successful, then so much of the credit is going to go to Gerard that it's going to be so hard to keep him. Um, well, I think I'm trying to find it here as you were talking to me. There was something tonight was up. Uh, I think it was Neil Jones in goal, and he was he was talking, and I think it is that he'll be the lead of this. I think Klopp's gonna go uh, at twenty twenty four. That's um, about so a year later than I would hope. But I I'll obviously need an extended break. Yeah. Um, I'll need a holiday. I'll need to throw my phone in the river, and I'll cry until my eyes are dust. But then it's gonna be Steven Gerrard. That seems to be thing what seems to be it um he now he may be doing unreal last Villa and just think do you know what he might just think i'm not ready just yet and he might have a thing last they're doing so well last Villa and thinks no whatever but it seems to be that so yeah i said beforehand i'd like to see him do something pretty but then i've been really impressed with how he set his teams up yeah and like how they performed and, and i know we have people that listen to this that are Celtic fans and Rangers fans, and, and I know they'll all have their own opinions. I know the Celtic fans don't think he did that well. At, at Rangers, I kind of think he did. Unfortunately, he broke your he broke your hold on the league, lads, and he looked at his Europe and a record in Europe. Um. So yeah, I, I'm I'm really intrigued. We all I think as Liverpool fans watch Villa now, keep an eye on Villa, keep an eye on what they're doing. And I think it's interesting. Like we always, I always talk about coaching and what sets the likes in in other sports. What sets the likes of Steve Kerr and Bill Belichick and all these top coaches apart uh-huh. is that they zig when everyone else sags. Yeah. So the NBA was getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and Steve Kerr said, "Do you know what? If we get small and shoot from outside, we're going to have an advantage over all these big guys who can't cover us." And that's what led to the Warriors winning, you know, was it three titles in four years uh, and producing yes. some of the best, you know, but producing some of the best basketball we've ever seen. You look at what the Patriots have done, like their entire, the entire, like the last 20 years, the Patriots have dominated football because when everyone else said, okay, uh, the passing game is the biggest 
uh, threat in football. So defensively, we're going to put all our money into players on the outside to defend against, defend against the past. The Patriots saw that and they thought, okay, we're going to invest money in running the ball, in you know, making pay you pay for putting all your money into the outside players and not on the inside players. And it's it's a feels a little bit that, like that with Gerard in the sense that like, you know, you hear so much about you know, fullbacks who have to be wingers and, we, you know, whatever position it is that Trent Alexander-Arnold played. And it's all about wit and attack. And Gerard goes so narrow that it's so counterintuitive to everything else we've seen. Yeah. Because, like, there has to be a space for it, like, you know? Yeah, every, everyone has gone down the 4-3-3 wide, yeah. flying attackers, and a number nine that pivots that you yeah. can spring off. Through what Klopp had done, and and, and obviously yeah. Pep had done different things. Pep had done it a wee bit differently, yeah. obviously, but yeah, a Tuchel as well. And Conte, he did three five two and bamboozled the league, mm-hmm. and so the siege. And, and you're right, people have talked about Jerry going, that's a bit outdated now. Yeah, but it's not like we need. We don't have number tens. Number tens are unreal. We need. We need number. Soccer needs number tens. Like it's such a pivotal part of the need. Like and for him to use two, uh, two very good ones, obviously, and. The Coelho is so different, um, to what we are we're sort of used to, and and especially in the Premier League, Premier League gets such a, a dig because it used to just be four four two, let's let's have it, yeah. But now it's not like it is starting to make. And your your point on coaches zigging and zagging, like and and I laughed at the Golden State Warriors thing because obviously Steve's a massive Golden State Warriors fan, but that they are on the eye. They're the best basketball team you'll have ever you'll ever see when they're at their pump. And this year they've been pretty pretty good too. There's no better basketball unless you're watching the Harlem Globetrotters. There's no better basketball team on the. There is no better basketball team on the eye because of what they can do and how they can mix it up. And that's why I I always reference Steve Kerr when I'm talking about all the coaches like in sports because of how well he's done. I don't like talking about Bill Belichick, but he he's always done. Um, but yeah, the Gerard Gerard so surprised me, and we we sort of how we dig about Lampard. Uh, or whatever Lampard looked out of Rooney and Gerrard and Lampard Lampard looked the one that was tailor made for management Gerrard I never thought would be a manager I thought he's going to TV or um, he's just going to go off and do his own stuff and whatever Rooney I thought he would go into definitely into TV or just chill out because he's been so in the limelight from when he was 16 and the way the two of those the two scousers have set up their teams. The way Rooney decided, I didn't want the Everton job because I'm sticking here. Yeah. I have to finish a job. I have so much respect for. Him. I really, really want Darby to stay up now for Rooney, yeah. like for Wayne Rooney. Yeah. And then the way Gerard he went to Liverpool Academy, and you can see that now in Curtis Jones. How well he worked with Curtis Jones, and when he's coming through, he then took on the Rangers job, which was a fucking difficult job to take on. Like because Celtic were flying, untouchable Celtic looked. Took on the Rangers job. Up there is an absolute fishbowl of mentalness. <laughs> and he took to it. Took to it. And then did so well with him in Europe. And then waited his time. Gets a chance. Aston Villa. I'll go for it. And he's just walked in. And he's gone up another level again. And I think what we see with Gerard as well is a lot of people want to call themselves in soccer, call themselves a head coach and coaching them. Yeah, yeah. He's going in as a manager. Now, I'm a manager. Michael Beale is the coach. 
And without Michael Beale, we wouldn't be where we are. I, I know people that are in coaching that constantly preach about Michael Beale's sessions. They're ridiculous. They're so simple, some of them, but they're so brilliant. And he has Michael Beale doing that, and then Jared will do the management side of it. And it, it, I, I'm excited about Villa because I think Villa are one of the teams you can watch. A lot of people will they'll use Bielsa, and they'll use Pep, and they'll use, uh, say, um, who else? Uh, Nagelsmann. Yeah, Tuchel, Klopp. These are all attractive, attractive names and coaching. And then we have Steven Gerrard. Obviously, I'm using him tonight. Who people didn't think was going to be a good coach, doing different things in the Premier League and doing it quite well. Yeah, it's it's nice. Like it's nice to see. So we'll see. But we'll see what happens you, with Gerrard. But it's interesting. I think it's. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. With it's the route Gerrard took. It's the route Rooney is taking. That's what separates them from Lampard. Lampard went straight for the, like, almost straight for the big gig. All right. You know, he had his time, you know, in the championship and stuff like that. But, like, you look at Pep, Barcelona B. You look at Luis Enrique, Barcelona B. You mm. start small. You look at Jurgen Klopp, Mainz 05. Yeah. Like, I mean, Player manager. Yeah. Like, in the second division of the Bundesliga. Like, you know, like, there was, there's not that glamorous, like, start. And it's, it's knowing when to take the big gig. That's the thing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like you said, I think there are certain players you might have thought would have made great managers because their knowledge of the game is so good. And then they failed utterly. And I like, there's no better example than, you know, Roy Keane. Like, Roy Keane, yeah. like, there's nothing he doesn't know about football and yet completely failed as a manager because he never saw any of the players he was coaching as being as good as he was. And he couldn't understand why they weren't as good as he was. And that's a fundamental failing at a managerial level. Like, and it doesn't matter what your job is. Like, you know, Gerard's done it the right way. Like, uh, you know, in my day job, what makes my job easier, what makes me look good is to surround myself with people who are better than me, you know? And that's yeah. what Gerard does. Like, cause he knows what his strengths are. And he knows what his weaknesses are. And if you can plug the gaps of your weakness of your weaknesses, it makes you a better manager and a better coach. And that the only way you get that level of knowledge as to what your weaknesses are is by starting off at a much lower level. Because you don't have the spotlight on you. You don't have the the massive budget that you need to like live up to and things like that. And look, you only have to look at some of the conversations around Thomas Tuchel, like, you know, over the last few weeks where it went from, this is the best team in world football to is Thomas Tuchel's job in trouble. That's Mm -hmm. the pressure that comes with like managing a team like Chelsea. So like Lampard was almost doomed to failure. Yeah. And he's a club legend, like an absolute club legend in the way Gerard is, except there's nobody going to question what happened there was people started questioning Frank Lampard's qualifications. Like what's he actually done to deserve this job? I don't think if he's successful with Aston Villa after being successful with Rangers, nobody can question Stephen Gerrard's appointment. You know, if he if he is the appointment after Klopp, we don't know he will be the appointment. But if he is, I don't think anyone can can kind of question it because he's served yeah. his relationship. Um and I think you look at Rooney like taking that decision like I could go to Everton and I'd be an absolute hero if I saved them. But if Everton don't go down this year, they're going down next year. Like they're a club in, in the, it's what Paul said. It's that inevitable. It's the inevitability. They're circling a black hole at the moment. And, you know, 
they're going to eventually cross the event horizon and there's no going yeah. back. Like, so it, it just feels a little bit like that um, for everything. And it, it's funny, when he was talking about that feeling of almost like relief of, look, it's happened now. So the worst, the worst that could happen has happened. It can't get any worse. Like that is like Rooney read the room and said, okay, that's hanging over everything at the moment. I want nothing to do with that. Like, <laughs> if, like, like yeah. if Derby get relegated, nobody's blaming Wayne Rooney. But if Derby stay up, everyone is heaping praise on Wayne Rooney. Like, you know, yeah. he, he could probably walk into any job up until 10th place in the Premier League if it became open. They the sold out their stadium yesterday. They sold out, like, this club is on its arse, and he has got the fans on side, and I, like, if, if, whatever happens with Derby, if Everton get relegated, he's the new Everton manager. And can yeah. you imagine then, like, what, I know Everton fans are listening, if, they, if they're still listening to this podcast, well, I know Cousin Kieran is, God love him, and we love you very much, Kieran. Um, if, if that happens, it'll be horrendous for them, yes. But then if it's Rooney coming in and the club buys in and starts to like get back to its roots and starts to you know, like look after itself and then comes back up, that'll be a club on the bounce. Like it really, really yeah. will because I I I know I, I was a, as a Liverpool fan, I slag Everton a lot and blah blah, but I know Evertonians as well from going to uni there. Yeah. And I felt them I felt the city like whenever Everton were flying and we're bouncing along and, and if they got a big win whatever and you get there is such a passionate passionate fan base there that they do deserve as much as i jest like they do deserve good times to come back and they do deserve something and I, but i do think it's gonna have to be like paul said you know going down first yeah and, and, and counterpoint, then, counterpoint to yeah. all that and i'm sorry everton fans but nothing would be funnier than frank lampard <laughs> You're an old bastard. Like I knew you were gonna say <laughs> that. Um, before we finish up, I know Paul obviously had the go. Unfortunately, and don't don't worry about it all, Paul. We'll get you back on again. Um, towards the towards the season, see how Villa are doing. And I obviously wanted to chat to you about journalism too. And hopefully, if you're okay with that, we'll get you back on. Um, so I I I'm back doing stuff with the Irish League, and uh, I know you obviously have a keen interest in the League of Ireland. And I wanted to ask you this because I was asking the lads from the Waffle. Which is an Irish League podcast. Two great lads, uh, Gareth and Connor. I asked them this today, and I think we're going to talk about it in their podcast tomorrow as well. Now, there's a lot of money now floating about in these leagues. Yeah, players are getting bought for hundred grand or more fees, right? And but I don't know. I get the feel like it's great. It's unreal to have money in the leagues. But my worry would be, are these clubs running it right? So I don't. Know what you think? As, as do you think anyone? So Liverpool signed Luis Diaz, and one of the things they got to get Luis Diaz over the line is Porto still owed Liverpool money for Marco Grich. So Liverpool were mm. like, "Well, we'll waive that. We'll take Diaz. But we'll the fee will come down then, okay?" Yeah. And like a lot of people, I know people laugh and jest with Liverpool, but I love how Liverpool do business like that. That's what I want my team to do all the time business like that that's the way i want them to do business and, and spread out the payments as well to do that too that's the way i want things. and i worry sometimes that these smaller clubs especially in the leagues get a pot of money and then bang it goes into it. i don't know how sustainable this can be i don't know anyone in the business end of the clubs yet yeah but what do you think looking at it, i would worry that some of these clubs who have the money now could end up being in a real bother 
in three or four years' time down the line? Or do you think people are a lot more sensible now because a lot of the teams did struggle? Do you think people are using a, like a money ball type thing? Or do you think it would work even to use it in the League of Ireland and the Irish League? It's, diff- it's a difficult one because... So when Dundalk, say, for example, in the League of Ireland had their European run a few seasons ago, everyone thought, mm. well, that's, that's it. Like, that's Dundalk dominating you know, League of Ireland for years to come because they've got so much more money than everyone else. And they kind of just pissed it away. And mm-hmm. now, all, like, you know, they were they were in a relegation battle, you know, for a lot of last season. Uh, and now the League of Ireland is so tight that they ended up actually even closer to the top of the league than the bottom by the end of it. But, you know, I don't think... I, I literally had this discussion, actually, with, with a, a, a separate journalist friend of mine the other day. And he pointed out, like, a lot of the money that's flying around the League of Ireland in particular is gambling money, is betting money. And his worry is that, like, how if if that gets regulated out of football, what do these clubs do? And I think that's the scary thing is that, like, clubs are signing these big deals with betting companies and things like that. But that money, with the stroke of a pen from the Irish or the British government, like, that money could be gone overnight. Um, and I don't know how much planning into their future they're doing, but like you only have to. I think the model is if you've got a really good player and a team like Everton or or AC Milan, like we're starting to see Irish players now move to like not just to English clubs but to clubs on the continent. Yeah. Something I've been asking for for years that like don't just go to play League Two, like there's clubs in Serie A, Serie B that you might get a better standard of football education from. And you look at this and you go, okay, well, that's smart. But it's only smart if there's a sell-on clause, which, you know, Brazilian teams, Argentinian teams, Portuguese teams, Dutch teams are really, really good at including that when their players go to like one of the top five leagues, there's a 10 or 15% sell-on clause to that contract. So that team, the original team, makes money when the player is, is sold on. And... Yeah, I think that's where clubs need to be smart, because if you've got a guy you think can make it, let make sure that he funds the next two guys coming through in ten years' time, you know, from whatever big transfer he gets or whatever, you know, because you can't. I just, I worry that like so in there's a huge discrepancy in terms of club finances in the League of Ireland. Like Shamrock Rovers are by a magnitude richer than other clubs and they've walked the last two league titles. Now people will say COVID has impacted that and there's been no threat to them. There's nothing there's nothing happening to make me think that that's going to change anytime soon. And then you get into a Ranger Celtic situation where there might only be for for a decade there might only be one club who could win the league. And that's not healthy. Like it's not healthy at all. And I don't know enough about the Irish League to, to comment on what it might be like for for, for those teams. But we know as football fans the best thing we can have is competition uh we, the, the best thing we can have is a, a chance for two or three or more teams to actually be in with a chance of success if one team is going to dominate what happens is you know fans turn up for the first three or four games of the season and then they go oh well, we're not winning this and i'll skip this game and then the club's revenue yeah. goes down and it's a vicious circle like yeah, so that's, I get that's that. Me. Totally. Totally. And I think in the Irish League now you have sort of 
Cosy of Linfield, um, traditionally, um, and you Glen Glen Torn and Glen Torn are back now, and they have new owners, um, who's a multi millionaire, and they are spending the money. And then you've Lauren, who are owned by, uh, Purple Bricks owner, is it Kenny Bruce? I think it is, yeah. Um, and so they have money too. There, they'll spend hundred grand on Lee Bonus from Portadown there a couple of weeks ago. Um, and now he's gone up there. Glentorn spent 100 grand on Shane McCartan, which is amazing uh, from Ballymena to go to Glentorn. There's money floating about the league, and, and it is, and I love it. And being a part of the league again now, uh, the stand bringing Brenton to the game on Tuesday night, the standard is class, the standard is unreal. Um, and we saw Oshin Smith move from Dungallan Swifts to Oxford United this afternoon. Uh, but Glentorn were able to outbid Oxford. But he went. He he's gone to Oxford United. I think it is. That that was a story. Anyway, but he's gone to Oxford yeah. United to play over there, and he's a brilliant kid, a brilliant, brilliant footballer. I have no doubt he'll do very well. But my my worry would be that a lot of these teams now have the money at the minute, and they're chucking it, yeah, into the uh, other teams. And I don't. I I just hope. I don't know. Maybe there is. I just hope there is really good planning behind this, for it to sustain. Because if we can have I think we'll have a full League of Ireland eventually. I think we'll see five teams from the north and teams from the south will merge and there'll be there'll be an All-Ireland League. I think that's going to happen. I think if you don't think that's going to happen, you're silly. You know what I mean? I think it is going to happen down the line. It mightn't be for 30, 40 years, but it's going to happen. But I think what we have here is two products now where we can have full-time professional teams and we can have a great standard that... We can have players will go to Serie A, Liga, La Liga, get so well, and then the national teams will start to progress. But we also have something that everyone will be like, "This is actually unreal. Get me down to this." Yeah. And then our two, our boys, will get the point where, look, we would love them to be united and Liverpool fans with us, but they might get the point where, no, Dad, I'm actually a Cliftonville fan. Okay, cool. Or Dad, I'm a Shamrock Rovers fan or some cool, unreal. You know that kind of way. I kind of love that too. I'd love for Finn. I'd love for Miles and Teddy to well, have. Teddy's already described him as that. He is. Yeah. yeah, he says he's a Rovers fan. He yeah. like he doesn't support United. So um, sensible. That could be glory hunting on his part because he's only supported them for two seasons and they've won the league in both those seasons. So well, like, so that's what you did to support United. So I mean, well, that well, doesn't fall far from the tree. Now. I mean, he knows. <laughs> he, he can see success. You know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I would love. That like, I, I, that's what I'd love. But it just, it's, I think it's an interesting. One. I think it's one. It's transfer deadline day. There's been a lot of activity going on in the Irish league, certainly anyway. And I think it's one that to keep an eye on. You know what way? I'd love to sit down with someone at one of these clubs to talk about how things get done and not about their finance. Don't even know how much a club has or whatever. Just yeah. the planning. Like, what way do you go into it? The plan for signing it. How do you plan for the future? Because I just think we're at a at a point now where these two leagues could really explode, you know, into something into something great. Like especially at, at our end, like we're with the BBC are covering so much of the league now, and hopefully going to be covering more. And Sky get some of the games too. There is such a product there now that you'd like to think that it'll just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you'd get people from across the continent going, "We're going to go to Ireland to watch games of football." Do you know what I mean? So yeah, have you ever seen the uh, Copa ninety like short documentaries yeah. they've done? Like, Watch like that, it's that sort of thing that like really draws people into domestic football, and there just needs to be more of it. But there needs to be yeah. like 
you look at but then you look at clubs that do it right you look at cork city for example right they're they do everything right it's fan owned they reject alcohol and, and gambling sponsorship and all sorts of like really good measures playing first division football like so i don't know and they were league winners recently they were league winners not that long ago yeah and yeah. like like, so they do everything right and it still doesn't work and that's really hard to come back from I think as a as a fan to kind of go oh, again like we have to, to build from scratch again and like and, and as it happens Paul um, is a like I think he might be a Cork City season ticket holder like he's from Cork you wouldn't know from the accent but he, he, he's from his family is from Cork and like they they massively back that club like that Cork City mean as much to him as Aston Villa do, if not more, probably at times. And you you see that passion from their fan base, and you see that they're run really, really well, and it's still not enough because there's something else missing that none of us can put our finger on. And maybe, like you said, it's an All Ireland League that you know is really well run that has you know full time professional players. It'll never be the Premier League. It'll never be League One. But League One wasn't always League One, you know. No. Like you know, it was a Farmers League for a long, long time. <laughs> to be honest, like a lot of the money, like a lot of the, it's it's PSG driving it. Like do you know, what I mean? it's one club, it's one mm. superstar club. But there's a lot of there's a lot of leagues around Europe who just have one team who qualify for the Champions League every year, and that money brings attention to their co or brings money into the league their coefficient goes up their national team level goes up it all adds up at the end of the day so i, I just think there's there's a lot of like really good people involved in football on this island and they don't necessarily have they have their club's best interest at heart but i don't necessarily think that means they have football's best interest at heart yeah no i get that too like like and and getting to know some of these people as well um is great. So we will when the League of Ireland starts up, we will get that game on it, obviously with yourself, Stephen. Yeah. Um and oh breaking news, Liverpool close to signing a ta- Fulham attacking midfielder, Fabio Carvalho. There you are. Mm. That just popped up my screen. Um that affected so there, we didn't even have to <laughs> I don't know. I think it's for five million. I think Nico Nico uh, Williams going the other way, possibly. All oh, right, okay, that's uh, a good move so for him. I, yeah, it is. Yeah, he's, he's and he's done really well at Liverpool this year, and and obviously he want to be in the Wales squad if they qualify for the World Cup. So wish him all the best on that one. Um, I think that'll do us for tonight's podcast. Obviously, Paul had to go because of battery issues. No problem at all. At least I recorded it. You know, yeah. so I didn't doubt with Kelly Cates. Look what happened. So at least I recorded it. Per Kelly, yeah. Um, So that'll do us. We will be back. Obviously, myself and Cousin Maud will be back on Thursday evening to talk about life just again, really. I don't even know if we'll talk about that much football. I think he wants to probably get into Arsenal, and I'll probably allow him. Um, What's going on there? And then, obviously, we'll be talking about TV, Boba Fett and stuff coming up. The next episode's going to be coming up and different things. So we'll chat about that. But, folks, thanks for listening. Paul, thank you so much for coming on. Um, really, really appreciate it. And we'll get you on again soon when you're listening to this. Don't worry. Um, and charge Steve, your charge your phone. <laughs> Stephen, uh, <laughs> be, be kind to the guest, please, even if you are his head coach. Um, and, yes, Steve, try and behave yourself for a week. And we'll see you no again next week. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. No bother. All right, folks. Good luck.